So when I'm driving, I have my shirt, I carry appendix and I have my shirt tucked behind my carry pistol to save me if I need to get to it while I'm in the car, right? So he's coming back. He's said something about whooping ass. I just rest my hand on the, on the gun, which is visible apparently because he sees it, which is probably a good thing because he started backing up and he kept facing me while he was doing it. But the whole time he was backing up, he's like, he says, I got a gun too, which was probably the stupidest thing for him to say. Hey gang, John Korea is so proud to be a brand ambassador for Hector and Coke Pistols. They're, they're not a sponsor per se, but they have helped us out so much. The whole team, we just drag our HKs around the country to training, to the ASP conference, and we just know that no matter how poorly we treat them, they're going to go bang whenever we need them to. They're incredibly reliable, and they're a joy to shoot and paddle magazine release. Please visit them at hk-usa.com, hk-usa.com, and tell them the ASP podcast sent you. Well, already, gang, welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am yet again your host, Mike Williver, and with any luck, I'm still your favorite former Fed with us today, a new friend of mine. He goes by the handle of Scars, Scars Rodriguez. He and I met at the, I believe at the conference, is that right, at the Active Self-Protection Conference? It was last year. Yeah, yeah that's right. It seems like I've known you longer than that. I don't know if we've been Facebook friends longer. At any rate, he is an acquaintance of mine and a friend of Active Self-Protection and an avid uh conference goer. So let me start with a with a bit of a question out of left field, Scars. Why would you recommend anyone listening who's looking to train go to this conference versus, say, any other set of training? What what have you gotten out of it that you think might interest our, our listeners and viewers? A couple things. Um, the first time I went, I met Brian Hill, which started off a great relationship and training with him and some journey. So I traveled with him. I traveled to train with him and a couple other, and I met Riley T. Bowman and a couple of other top instructors who I keep my eyes out for. And on top of that, I met some, some great friends mm. and, and brothers and sisters. And I, I keep in touch with them and we, we travel to train with each other and it's just a really good community and really good learning. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I would say, if, if someone asked me, why is this different or why is it worth going to? is you what you don't have is a lot of egos among the trainers you have a lot of really level-headed outstanding guys you named two of the best trainers in the country in my opinion in Riley and and Brian Hill um and you don't have this sort of machismo um you know I'm a gun guy and you're not or I'm the trainer and you're the trainee sort of vibe at all there's very little ego and the attendees are remarkably like just everyday people who want to learn self-defense related stuff. And there's, there's just no, like I, I just haven't encountered in the three years I've been there, a lot of goofiness. Like sometimes you go to training and there's always that guy, you know, in the class mm-hmm. who you kind of sense is just dying to get into a shooting. That guy, you know, the guy I'm talking about, yeah, yeah. there's just none of that there. So uh, this year, I think it's probably too late to sign up for 2023, but 2024 hopefully will happen. And it goes to, uh, all the proceeds go to the Flint Hills Foster Teen Camp, which is a phenomenal cause. And Mike and Lisa out there um, do a great job of helping young people who otherwise probably wouldn't get any kind of vacation or camp to get a really, really good camp. And they talk about Jesus, which is a favorite topic of mine. So it's just win-win. Yeah, sure. so, so, Scars, you are um, you are retired currently, uh, disabled. Yes. Uh, you, yes. in the past, have been – the last job you had was being a medical transcriptionist. And you've been in tech right. and sales, as we discussed before we hit the record button. Yes. And so you are disabled. Do you care to discuss your disability and what that sure. is at all with the nice people at home, or would you rather not? 
I absolutely will. And it's, it's probably relevant to my self-defense and personal defense because it, 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 it affects what I can do. Sure. You know, I've had rheumatoid or juvenile idiopathic arthritis since I was four years old. So it's a form of rheumatoid arthritis that attacks you when you're young. And what that does, what rheumatoid arthritis does is it attacks, you know, your joints and your, your bones. So I have restricted range of motion, um, a lot of pain because I, I'm missing, I'm like, I'm missing cartilage. Like cartilage isn't something I have. Okay. So that, that kind of hurts. Um, I got my knees replaced when I was 16. A lot of surgeries come with the, come with the, this disease, um, or my hips replaced. Uh, and, and it's, it's pain and limitations. Um, you know, you can go more into that, but in terms of like personal defense or whatever, my bones are essentially powder. I've had osteoporosis since I was young because of the, the kind of what comes with the disease, the osteoarthritis comes with it. Osteoporosis comes with it. Uh, other, um, it's kind of hard to stay in shape. I'm, I'm underweight because there's a whole thing with me and eating and pain. Hunger is just another pain for me. And since mm -hmm. I'm used to feeling pain, I just kind of block it. So eating takes conscious, takes effort, for me, you know? So, but I exercise all the time, which which is hard to do with this disease because of the pain and the the lack of movement. But uh, that works for me. But yeah. go on. And, sorry. and as it'll come up, as it'll come up in this thing, I I can tend to write checks that my body can't cash. Oh boy. Okay. So yeah. I think important for the people who are on the audio side who can't see you. Um, you certainly do not look like someone who you don't look like nearly old enough. I think was probably what people would say to yeah. need a hip replacement or a knee replacement. I've had a hip replaced. It wasn't a lot of fun. And I the other one's coming here yeah. shortly. I'm trying to postpone that as long as I can. Cause now I understand that yeah, yeah, these replacements, they don't last forever. They last a long time. They do ago. not last forever. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to postpone the left hip as long as I can. So I can keep those separated. And, you know, with any luck, maybe die for it in the second one replaced again. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, Who knows? So I think I think it would be looking at you when I first saw you, it didn't occur to me you had any kind of disability. But I think the criminal element <clears throat> would almost certainly, um, when they're doing target selection, would look for someone they think they can beat. They're not probably not going to yeah. pick on me. Um, as soon as they pick on somebody smaller than me, potentially with a disability. So has there ever been a time yeah. when you felt like um, that was a, an issue or a problem? Like you felt potentially you were going to be selected as a victim because of your your situation or no? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always keep an eye out for it. And I think I definitely am an easy target, but I don't carry myself like a target you no. know and that's that's something the instructors teach you a lot so i don't carry myself like a victim and i have my eyes open so it hasn't and i and, and the farnham's rules you know i don't drink so i don't go out to bars anymore so a lot of problems are solved by not going to bars and drinking alcohol so, yeah don't i know it you know it uh so and i don't since i since i'm on disability i don't have to leave the house that much you know so i i haven't had it happen a lot but I am aware it is something that can happen. And if something does start, it can be harder to back down because they look at me and they think they can just whoop me. Cause I'm like five foot eight and like 125. So I, I weigh nothing. I look like nothing. And they think they can just throw me around and that's not the case. So was there a particular incident that, that led you down the road of, of sort of 
becoming acclimated to self-defense and firearms, that sort of thing? Or was it just something that happened, sort of evolved on its own organically? My dad, uh, Paul Hernandez, is currently a range instructor and a range officer and a chief range officer for USPSA, for United States Practical Shooting Association. Okay. So he had me shooting guns early on. He used to compete when he was more useful. And he's, he's been a, yeah, he had me shooting USPSA when I was, I don't even know when I started. I, I had my first rifle, the Ruger 1022, when I was like 10 years old. So Love I, it. I grew up in, yeah, I grew up in, in it with, with the goal on keeping myself, with, with focus on keeping myself, with practice shooting. Okay. Yeah. And then you've been to conference more than once. Um, so what other, aside from firearms, what else do you uh, consider your strong suits as far as self-defense goes? I know you carry, obviously you carry palm pepper spray. Uh, other than that, what else? I mean, I, I carry a knife. I, I, it not, that would be my last resort. I think that would be a problem. I used to play ninja. Um, when I was in my phase where I was being a computer technician, I noticed one of my coworkers was fiddling with his desk. And I said, what you doing, bud? And he said, I'm picking, I'm picking it. I'm practicing picking locks. And I said, cool, man. Why? And he said, I'm a ninja. I said, awesome. You know, teach me. And I mean, he's like legit, like he traveled from Missouri just to travel with Stephen K. Hayes, which is like the American ninja, like he's down the road from where I live. So this guy was a ninja and he taught me. So I played ninja for a while. And he said that my biggest strength was uh, my ability to defuse situations. Mm. Really. So I, I think that's a good strength to have. Yeah, I guess they call that. What do you call it? The verbal, the verbal judo. Yeah, verbal yeah. judo, or just, just. I mean, sometimes you could just call it being reasonable. Quite frankly, I, I, yeah, you know, I, I was in law enforcement for thirty years. I never took a single ambulance ride, and I never lost a fight. And a big part of that is because I'm, I'm six one. I was two forty five, two fifty the whole time I was working, more or less. And I look kind of scary. People tell me anyway. I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I don't mm. feel scary, but evidently I can look scary. Bald head, you know, beard. Um, I I just knew, I just knew when to, or I knew what fights I couldn't possibly probably win and was able to find another way around it. I I mean, I avoided fights anyway. You know, I think anyone should to try to try to not escalate in the first place and therefore, um, defeat the need for deescalation if things aren't escalated to begin with. But, um, that takes some maturity and experience. It's not something your average 16 year old understands is don't start. Don't start nothing. There won't be nothing. You've heard that. Um, yeah, so you, and, and another thing, like something they say, I don't know how to phrase it exactly, but like you didn't get your butt whooped enough when you were a kid or something. Yeah. Like I didn't get in a lot of fights because I was in a wheelchair. I was using a walker when I was 16. So I ran my mouth without consequence. You know, that oh, taught okay. me some pretty bad lessons. That taught me some pretty bad lessons. Sure. Absolutely. So on to uh, the incident that you you reached out to me. I actually put a post on, uh, post on Facebook about it, and yeah. I read it very cursorily because as soon as I started reading it, I thought this might be an episode. So I don't want to get all the details because, as you know, in my audience, uh, our audience here is probably tired of hearing. I like to get the story along with the audience to the extent that I can. So I know a little bit about it. Yeah. So why don't you kind I tried of, to keep it mysterious when I was posting it. Tried you to are, some mystery you are a man of mystery. So that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so kind of walk us through what you were doing, where you were and kind of what happened. Okay. So this is not going to make me look great because I think I'm the instigator. That's part I of the lesson. Was. That's okay, fine. So that's fine. That's what happens. Okay. So I don't know if they have, I think they have these in Arizona or they definitely have them in New Mexico. I think one of my buddies owned one. But okay, so in Ohio, they have 
beer drive throughs like warehouse drive throughs You just drive through a warehouse and you order your beer or your cigarettes, or in my case, my Mountain Dew and my candy. Mm-hmm. And I got my Mountain Dew. I got my candy. I'm running to an appointment. And I'm a little bit late because I'm always, always, and I'm almost always a little bit late. And I'm running a little bit late to the appointment. I pull out. I come around to get onto the main street. I've decided to turn right because there's a big fair amount of traffic. Just turn right, go through the neighborhood, come back out and hop on the highway, get to where I need to go. Mm-hmm. The dude in front of me in the SUV in the right turn lane puts his left turn signal on from the right turn lane. So I'm like, dude, you know, that's kind of annoying. And I'm just like, I got a Kia, okay? I, it, it's, it's horn is not that. It's a Kia. I mean, it's a deep, you know, it's not. Me, me. Okay, yeah. and he, dude's in an SUV, right? And he's got like a real horn or whatever. So I go, beep, which even as I'm doing it, I'm like, I probably shouldn't do this, you know, but I'm running late. You know, maybe honking at him will somehow make him, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. I'll get out of his way. I need to go faster to be more polite. I'm like, no, that's, I'm like, okay, beep, dude honks back, you know, beep. Uh All right. I can do that too. Beep. Then he gets out of the car. Oh, boy. I'm like, oh, man, like, this is not, not, you know, helping me get to my destination any quicker. And of course, the the windows were rolled up because I watched the act of self-protection. Windows were rolled up. Doors were locked because when I get in the car, I lock the doors. Windows are off. Put on the put on the, you know, the brake. Turn the car on. Put it in gear. And then I do the whole thing in. And I'm in gear. Foot on brake. And he comes back. And I don't remember at that stage what was said that much. He wasn't thrilled with my honking. Uh, he might have said something about how I appear or something. But mostly, I remember saying, just just go right, man. Just go right. Just go right. And he's like, just go around. It turns down to me saying, just go right. Just go right. He's like, just go around. And I'm like, dude, how am I going to go around to turn right while you're turning? You know, that just makes no sense. And that's, no, just just go. And eventually, as I recall it, he walks back. And neither one of us are thrilled about it. And I have a door. I have a dash cam. And at that stage, I had taken my phone off the mountain. I'm recording him. So I think it's a smart idea to tell him I'm recording him, right? And then remind him that I'm not impressed with him being tough and he just needs to go and let me get on with my day. So you put it that tactfully when you spoke to him. I said, you know, I said, you know, I'm recording you. Uh, you can just move on, tough guy. Okay. Or something like that. And even as I'm saying this, I'm like, I'm like realizing it, I'm like, this is probably not the smartest thing to say. You know, he wasn't hyper aggressive. It looked like he was holding a, a vape in his in his right hand, like his pants were kind of sagging. I didn't see any gun, but they're in his hands. And I checked the, the waist, but his clothes were kind of baggy. And he was like, it was kind of weird that he was wearing like a, a hoodie because it was summer. You know, it was pretty warm. Mm-hmm. But and he you could tell he was kind of thinking about yeah, I could just go. And he goes, he walks back to his SUV. But then he turns around and says something about whooping my ass. I'm like, oh, so my first instinct is OC because I don't see anything with him, right? I don't see any lethal threat. But I quickly realized my windows and my doors are, you know, they're (laughs) they're not going to let me spray this guy to bless him with a hot sauce and move on with my day. So when I'm driving, I have my shirt tucked. I carry appendix and I have my shirt tucked behind my carry pistol to save me if I need to get to it while I'm in the car, right? So he's coming back. He says something about whooping ass. So I don't, I just rest my hand on the, on the gun, which is visible apparently because he sees it, which is probably a good thing. 
although because he started backing up. He was still moving slowly, but he started backing up, and he kept facing me while he was doing it. But the whole time he was backing up, he's like, he says, I got a gun too, which was probably the stupidest thing for him to say, you know, because now I'm considering he's probably might, I might need to take it more seriously, right? And so my all my senses are just like amped up. And, uh, but he gets, he says some other things. Oh, you might want to edit this out, but I did the best I could to, to make it radio friendly. Uh-huh. Uh, he called me a, a niche ass bigger, which I don't oh think I am one, but you know, that that's, that's, I just, that, that was kind of funny when I rewatched it. I said, I, that's, I'm not one of those, but it was, <laughs> it was funny. But, uh, so he gets back in and he shuts his door and I'm like, all right, cool. You know, problem solved. And then I see at that stage, I, I think I had might've put my car in reverse and backed up a little bit. There wasn't any exit behind me, but I just wanted to create a little bit more space. Mm-hmm. Space buys your time, time buys your options. Okay, so I see him put his, I see his reverse slice comes on. I'm like, is he going to be backing up at me? Like, this so re- so real quick, before silly. we continue, describe for us where you're situated compared to him. Because I'm I, in my mind, you're to his right, like in the number one lane, no. he's to your left. So where is he actually? We're both in the right turn lane. And he's okay. in front of me about three car lanes in front of me with his left turn signal on in the right turn lane. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. I, I was confused. Yeah. So, so there's yeah. no avenue for escape for you. You couldn't hop the curb if you needed to or whatever. You're kind of stuck where you are. There is no curb. There's a building directly to the right, kind of perpendicular. And it's got kind of some raised cement and same with the building on the left. Okay. And I think there's an apartment complex down a hill behind it, but it's like there's, it's a dead end. Nowhere to go. Nope. You got to go forward. Okay. So what so, happens then? He he puts his car in park. He puts his SUV in park in the right turn lane, and just lets it sit there while I'm behind him. Mm-hmm. So, and he had said he has a gun, and I I don't know if this is the smartest thing to do, but it it I I still I think it might have been a good idea. Um, I did unholster my gun at that point in time because he had said he had a gun. I didn't point it. I didn't take it out. I just had it rested on my leg in case in case. I needed to go get into action with it. Although we'll talk about some concerns I had with that, you know, later in the future, I hope. But at that stage, I, uh, I had put my phone, I had stopped the recording and I put my phone back up in its mount and I had Siri dial nine one one. So I could talk to them and let them know that there, I was armed and that there were, had been mention of gun, that there was no conflict currently going on. But I, I, I gave him his license plate and described him and told him he was blocking my exit and, and told them that I was just sitting there waiting to see what happened next. So did they dispatch units to you or no? They started to, they had a little bit of time trouble finding the, 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 uh, the location. Okay. Because the name of the location is whatever drive through, you know, just blank drive through name drive through and the, the name of the town in the drive. Okay. So I told them that, and she's looking for like, which drive through and center, you know, in the, in the town, right. you know, so there was some confusion, but yeah, they transferred the dispatch or the, or the operator or whatever transferred me over to the, the police and they were able to figure out where I was and it's a small suburb. So they were, they were getting a unit out to me at that point in time, another customer for the drive through had come out and they wanted to turn right. So He's parked there. I'm parked behind him in the right turn lane. They come up to my left. They're, they they kind of, and eventually they pass me because they're like, what's going on here? And then they see him blocking the right lane. 
and they stop. So now we've got both of the lanes all except the entry lane coming in. And so at that point in time, he decides to, you know, this is, I don't know what he decided, but what he did was he pulled out to the right, which was a wonderful idea, I thought. But then he pulled into the immediate parking lot directly next to us. Okay. So I don't know if he was waiting for me or if he wanted to follow me or whatever, but I, I let the, the other couple in front of me and do off to the right. And then I scooted out to the right and turned to the left and went through the, my neighborhoods right there. So I, I kind of took a couple creative turns to get to the expressway. And by the time I got to the expressway, he hadn't caught, you know, if he was even trying to follow me, he hadn't. And I, I was still on the phone with 911 and telling him what was going on. So. So before asking any more questions, what, what was the dispo with that? Well, you just told him, Hey, he's not around me anymore. I'm good. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, they called me back later. Um, after I finished my appointment and I talked to him, officer Keller, if you're listening, you did a fine job. Thank you very much. Thank you for your service. And he said he was just mostly concerned that his, cause I didn't want to, nothing really happened. Right. I was just keeping him on the phone in case some like, kind of prophylactically in case something happened. Like, I really would have run, run the race, race to 911. You right. know, like they would have heard it happen, but uh, nothing happened. So I didn't even file a report. And Officer Keller was like, now my supervisor is going to want to know since guns were involved. Are you sure everything's cool? I'm like, yeah, I didn't see his gun. I didn't have to use mine. You know, there's no big deal. They did call. They got his license number and they did call the the, the number that was the car was registered to. Mm-hmm. And it was some woman. So I think he probably got in trouble at home anyway. So I'm, Whatever, problem right. solved. Right, worse than any police interaction. He's, he got he got in yeah. trouble with his wife or girlfriend. Um, I'd yeah. rather get arrested, frankly. Um, so, yeah. couple couple things I want to talk about, le- lesson wise, and then I know you have more. You definitely have more you want to talk about, and I don't want to miss anything. So, don't worry, I'll cut back to you at some point uh, about any additional stuff. But I think anyone listening or watching can identify with. Well, I'll give you a scenario. There's a road here in Tucson called Ina Road, I-N-A, Ina Road, and Oracle Road, and they intersect, and they're both, uh, at at their smallest, they're both four-lane roads, so two lanes in each direction divided. And they had a lot of accidents with people making a left turn from one of the roads onto the other, so their system in Tucson, which I don't know if it makes any sense, I thought just a nice green arrow would work, but they set it up so that there's no left turn lanes anymore going east-west. So you have to go past the intersection, and then make a U-turn and then make a right to make basically to make a left. That was their solution. Hopefully it's saving lives. I, don't, I have no idea. I'm not a traffic engineer. Mm. But what they have at the intersection is you drive towards it is they have about 38 no left turn signs. I mean, there's so many left no left turn signs. It says no left turn. It spells it out. Then there's several that have a no left turn arrow, you know, with a circle with a line through it. And then to make matters even more clear, um, when the light turns green, there was an electronic sign that's enormous <laughs> that says the word, I think it says the words no left turn, but it definitely has a no left turn and no U-turn light that lights up to show you. So I say all that to say this, it should be abundantly clear to even the most novice person who's never been to the intersection before. You can't make a left and you can't make a U-turn. So every once in a while, you'll have somebody there like your boy in the truck <laughs> who insists that I can't possibly be bothered to go another quarter of a block and make a U-turn to make this left. I'm just going to sit here and block everyone. And it's a busy intersection. So I understand the impulse. And I don't don't think it's always necessarily, I wouldn't call it instigating to be like, hey, you know, to give a little beep. Now, leaning on your horn versus a little beep are two different things. We can discuss that another time. But 
I don't see a problem with like, hey, I mean, you're just so you know, you are blocking someone by by doing what you're doing. I don't see a big problem with giving them yeah, a beep on the horn. So I don't think you instigated yeah. anything, frankly. And the idea that you are going to get out of your vehicle to challenge someone, that's your go-to. You know, that's your go-to is weird and it's not normal. Yeah. And I think you'd every right to feel threatened at that moment. Someone gets out of the car Definitely. at the intersection, that's bad juju. So I think the next yeah. thing I want to discuss is, do you think, now assume this had gone poorly and he had broken your window and produced a knife. Actually, let me back that up. Let's say he punched your window out and reached in to try to grab you and you'd have fired. Do you think, what do you think a jury would have thought of that? Honestly, because I really want to know, because you don't have the strength of 10 men. You have a disability, yeah. and it's not like you can fist fight this guy, and now he's he's entered your car, and he's trying to pull you out. If if that Let's play that out. Had that happened, how do you think it might have gone? I mean, I, I would have stopped him without any doubt, and then I would have let USCCA handle it from there, you know? But I think in the end, without... I think the chances are pretty strong that the whole disparity of force would work in my favor very much. And also, like I said, I had, I don't think my intent was to, to antagonize him. And, and I was even doing little hand gestures, like just go on, man. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think, I think it was clear he was the aggressor. And I think I would be able to show that the disparity of force showed that I was in realistic threat of imminent death or bodily harm. Yeah. Okay. And then was it, do you think it was the display of the firearm that made him stop doing what he was doing and not proceed? 100%. When he, cause he was wandering up and he was kind of slow. I think he was high and I think it was weed. I think that's what was in his hand. Um, and when he was wandering back and mumbling about, about whipping my butt or whatever, when he came up to the window to say something more, he, he saw my hand on the gun. And the second he saw that, he kept talking, but he was talking as he was walking backwards. Yeah. He sees, his first words were, you got a gun? I got a gun, too. I ain't scared of no gun, but he's walking back the whole time. So, yeah, yeah and had he, absolutely the gun. Had he come back with a gun, that statement certainly would have been. Did you get that on tape? Oh, yeah, that was on my yeah, that, on my phone camera. Plus, I had a dash camera going. Yeah, yeah that would have definitely played in your favor legally, um, assuming it's yeah. admissible. Um, and then I guess the next question I have is, I don't know the, the laws in your state necessarily. Um, were you ever at any point concerned? Now, brandishing is a thing, right? I think most people yeah. think that brandishing means John Korea is blowing up my um, my Apple Watch right now with memes. I love him, but he should know I'm recording. Give him the best. Give oh, him the best yeah. oh, John, thanks for paying me. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I don't know. I think most people, when they think of the word brandishing they're in their mind's eye. It's someone with a gun out, waving it around, you know, or pointing it yeah. or displaying it in a lot of States just merely. So for example, if there's no open carry in your state, having a gun in a holster visible at all, or even if your, your shirt rides up, technically that's brandishing. I mean, strictly speaking, yeah. legally speaking, were, was there ever a concern for you during or after this, that especially having called the police, that they, there might be a problem with you having brandished a firearm for example, before there was a quote unquote deadly threat, would that ever concern you? I thought about that a little bit, but I'm mostly, and, and they were just super cool with me. The dispatcher and the cop, they were super chill with me. Um, I thought about this and I'm not sure in, in Ohio, first of all, we went constitutional carry this past year. I do have my, my, my license since I traveled to train, but mm -hmm. we're constitutional carry and we're pretty friendly towards guns in Ohio nowadays. Uh, in my opinion, 
it wasn't, you know, I didn't brandish it. It was, that's how I carry in the car. I carry with the shirt tucked. I just put my hand on it. And I think I wasn't too concerned about brandishing. And my understanding is you have to, your intent is to try to intimidate them into something or whatever. And I'm not sure the history behind this, but when I told my dad what, what happened, he said, oh yeah, the Ohio sling or the Ohio carry or something. I guess like a lot of people in Ohio talk to carry in Ohio. So I guess it's, I guess it's a thing and I guess it's cool. So and pretty much the laws about CCWs in Ohio said you can pretty much do whatever you want in your car with it. So can I, su- can I suggest a name for that boat of carry? I mean, I'm, I was just pulling it out of my butt. So yeah, I think, whatever. I think the old Buckeye tuck is what we're going to call that from now on. It could have been, it could have been, and but it should be definitely. Yeah. yeah I think that we're going to yeah. start a thing. So if you're, if you're in Ohio and you're listening and you carry Buckeye Tuck, make sure you tell all your friends at the range that Mike says that's what it's called from now on. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to name it. So we thought you were here for the, for the genesis of that. So awesome. it, it seems to me like, um, I think because of your disability, because of your physical limitations, um, as an investigating officer, had I been there or a detective, had it gone, what is that, whatever gone down later, I think I would have certainly taken that into account. And I think, honestly, I think considering all the factors, uh, I, I think you're perfectly justified in doing what you did. I think you handled it pretty well. And I don't feel like, you know, uh, assuming you told me everything that happened, like you were really the instigator, the guy was, I mean, I let's start with not getting in the right turn pocket to make, you know, to go straight. And then I think some people feel like they have all the right in the world to make everyone behind them wait however long until they get to do their special thing that they want to do. And that's just a, that's a him problem. So, uh, I know there was some other stuff, some other stuff you wanted to touch on. I don't want to forget anything. So walk us through whatever else. Okay. So, so my plan, if he had come out of his truck with, uh, with a gun, or if rounds had started coming through me through his back windshield, I was going to present and start shooting at him, right? But I'm in a car and I'm seated because I'm sometimes in a wheelchair. I do practice shooting from a seated position. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty comfortable with that. Um, I mean, like I have to sit down, twist my arm, you know, it was right. cool. I can handle that. I can handle sitting, but it's behind a windshield. Right. And I haven't done any shooting live strike. You know, so I have no idea. And behind, the backstop behind him was main street with traffic on it. Right. You know? So I was, Thinking about it, there was kind of a perpendicular parallel or building to my right, and I was kind of parked there. I would have backed up and kind of gone around the building and waited there while I was with 911. So I would kind of be shooting from the side at him if he, if he came at me, you know. If he had come at me from the window, the backstop was a building, and I think the window wouldn't have done much with the direction. But I was, yeah, I was concerned about shooting through my windshield if I would have had to do that, you know. Yeah, for those who don't know, we talk about it a lot in the badge cans. It's kind of become fashionable for some reason for cops to shoot through their windows and windshield. Um, and as we always point out when we see that, is there there are times when that's required. You there's no other way to do it. You know, you're you're stuck in a car and the, the person's in front of the you know the windshield's between you and the bad guy, and you have to do it. But it's suboptimal for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, you know that that's that's double and triple glass. It's it's um laminated. And so when a round goes through it, especially, you know, a pistol caliber round, um, there's just no telling where it's going to go. You could be aiming center of mass from five yards away. And that bullet, that round could completely miss what you're aiming at because of the windshield. So um, that's suboptimal. Did it occur to you, again, going back to my vast badge cam experience, John and I like to talk about how sometimes the car is your best weapon. You're already behind the wheel of it. Yeah, so I, did that occur to you? Was I was going to bring that up. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I think my foot was on the brake. I think it was in drive. I don't specifically remember it being in drive. And I remember that I had backed up, but I think 
I was definitely where I was driving a, a weapon, yeah, or a tool for defense, yeah. Very good. So before we part ways, anything else you wanted to, to bring up or mention, aside from the fact that FLP is our sponsor and not USCCA, but I'll let that go. We're friends. I won't. I won't. Uh, Sorry about that. that. I, okay. I have actually been looking at carrying because of one specific thing. Uh, I need to verify. Yeah. Um, no, I don't. Uh, I have nothing else, man. I'll be seeing you soon at the conference. That's yeah, I was going to say. A couple weeks. I'm super excited for that. Yeah, we're, we're, this will come out probably until the conference. This will probably come out the Friday of the conference, so it's September 12th as we're recording this. But yeah, man, I look forward to seeing you, uh, hopefully for many years to come at the conference, or maybe we can get together some Definitely. other way. We will be. I have a feeling the NRA convention will be in Ohio at some point, so we'll get together then. But uh, Scars awesome. Rodriguez, always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being willing to talk about it and coming on the show. All right, thanks, Mike. Be good. Take care. Enjoy your day in paradise.